0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos.
1: And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We
0: met right after college. Yeah, and our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as wing women for each other. And it didn't work out very well. But
1: then it did, and we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to
0: reproducers.
1: Which brings us to this podcast. We want to talk about topics that interest us and you, and provide some knowledge to other average
0: parents.
2: We make it
0: look easy, we make it look good We're average, not experts So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing Yeah, we'll get the experts
1: And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way
0: I'm pretty sure we already have
1: So, welcome to Apparently We make it look easy, we make it look good When
2: everybody sees it, they stop and take a look
1: Parents need to be hit on the head more than a million times before a message sinks in. Okay, I can't wait to hear where this is going. <laughs> we've all heard buzzwords like resiliency, failure—you know, the gift of failure, growth mindset—all those things. We've talked about them um, many times in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've read—we've all read those Huffington Post articles or whatever blogs. Academic papers and news articles when it comes to parenting and family
0: dynamics. Yep, we've talked about helicopter parents who like swoop in and rescue their kids, and bulldozer or snowplow parents who sweep conflict out of the way so the kids never have to struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, we've told the story about that HR person oh, yeah. <laughs> who took a call from a parent asking why her daughter didn't get the job. Yeah, so I'm with you. Like, how how did we get here? Why are we not learning? Um, how can we make sure our kids? Grow up to be successful and independent. And not risk-averse? Exactly. Not risk-averse. <laughs> Remember
1: Jessica Leahy, The Gift of Failure? Yes. That was, personally, that was one of my favorite episodes back in season one. I At that time of my life, I needed that episode as my daughter was going off to middle school. Um, I did a little course correction mm-hmm. in my house. And, like, most things I saw progress, but I know that I could do better. And... Like we always talk about between the two of us, you know, we try and things are hot and heavy for like a a couple days
2: or
0: weeks
1: and then we fall off the wagon. So I think we just need to be hit over the head and just hammer home some of these things that we all like acknowledge, Mm -hmm. but putting into practice is a different story.
0: Well, I loved the gift of failure episode too, partly because I was, I liked watching your head explode. (laughs) Because you were just like, but I have to bring him lunch. He won't be able to learn. And I was like, he forgot his iPad. I have to bring it yes. to him. Um, and I didn't need that as much as you, partly because I was a, a work out of the home mom for a long time. So I didn't have the option of like running something over to the school. Yeah. And partly because I'm lazy.
1: And I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. I was home and I did. bring. Yes.
0: It. But we're learning to let them take steps without us, you know, like for sure. And and you can sometimes you can see them walking right into a problem. And you have to be quiet. Like I think we're learning. Sit that. on
1: your hands. Yes, it's so painfully I hard.
0: I know because you want to keep them.
1: It's so hard. Yes, the struggle. It's real. It's like every day, especially with our middle
0: schoolers. It's so painful. Also, because you know that they're they're learning the lessons that we already learned, but they have to learn. We can't. I know, tell but them... I could like it could. It could be learned so much faster if we we just just download (laughs) our memories into their brains. All right. Well, so let's talk about raising successful kids who are independent and resilient to what life throws at them. Uh, We bring in Adam Russo.
1: He's the author of Unwritten Rules and founder of Edgewood Clinical Services. Thanks for joining us today, Adam.
2: No, thanks for having me.
1: So you can tell from our voices that like one of us is a little bit more comfortable (laughs) with this topic than the other. Um, So... One of the things, I just want to get right to it because I have so many questions, but in an effort to raise successful kids, one of the Mm -hmm. things that you've written about is talking about delaying gratification. And as a parent of two kids, a 13-year-old and and an 11-year-old, in this day and age right now, Mm -hmm. society thrives on instant gratification. So how can we delay gratification uh, in our households or help them to understand that, hey, you can, you can wait for that
0: X, Y, or Z, or whatever it is. You don't need it right now. And, and we should point out too, like, whether it's responding to a text, or whether it is Googling something when you don't know the answer, or whether it is watching things on demand, they don't have to, they don't even have to wait through commercials. So, how can we teach them patience and delayed gratification?
2: yeah so you bring up some some good points so the first thing is like you know when you you know the what you're talking about is how our cultures evolved over the past fifteen twenty years um, because you know when you think about when we were growing up when we were growing up in the age of no internet, no cell phones um, the the culture uh the day-to-day life um, had delayed gratification embedded in it sure um, you know like if you order if you know if you ordered something to your house 15 years ago it would take like four to six weeks yes delayed gratification right now we get mad if it doesn't show up in like two days right or same day yeah exactly same day I mean so, but that, but our culture has made that shift, right? And then, as parents, we sit there and we say, like you asked the question. Well, how do we t- how do we teach our kids to lay gratification? Well, you know what? And if we're going to do it as parents, we have to be purposeful about it, which is going to mean we're going to actually have to be difficult people to our kids. We're going to have to purposefully make their lives a little bit harder so that they can learn how to be patient, because we can't lean on culture to do it for us whereas we used to be able to do that so parenting is evolving but parents don't want to evolve because parents want to you know be like their kids champion and help them succeed and you know thrive and all these things but they don't but they look at those words as only being for in doing positive things, they don't you know meaning like happiness and you know um, you know pride and you know um, you know success and whatever they're doing. And obviously those things are great, but we also help our kids thrive by being challenging, by making things difficult, by um, by pushing them to um, get comfortable in areas that they're not necessarily comfortable in. And parents don't like taking on that role because I think parents feel guilty or uncomfortable themselves.
1: Yeah, we're we're impatient. Like I've talked about. This with Anne a million times. Like on the news, you, you see a story about this like three-year-old prodigy who can just sit down at the piano and just start playing, and you're like, Oh my god, he's magical. You don't really ever see stories about the kid that like literally practice piano every day forever and ever. So so it it it's hard because that's not what our culture really relishes or champions or or celebrates. celebrates. Yep. And so yeah. that that also in a daily experience in your family, like if you're not like hitting a grand slam the first time you're at bat,
0: then. Well, and then I find I have kids who, if they aren't great at it right away, they quit or want to. And my, I have the example of Sophie, when she was in fourth grade, she took clarinet and she did, she didn't make first chair. And I said, well, maybe you could practice. <gasps> and, and she was like, I pre- how dare you? Yeah, well, she was like, I prefer to be naturally good at things. <laughs>
1: How do you combat that, Adam?
2: Well that's the well, that's the other thing, you know, but that's where it goes to so as parents. I think it's understanding that, you know, we like you're saying, like we value talent, like it's always these people who are just inherently they, they just show up with greatness. Um, but even talent can be outworked. And so as parents, it's understanding that even if our kids are talented, they can still get outworked. So so whether the talent is there or not, what's gonna help them what's gonna help kids be able to persevere going forward is understanding the value of, of being relentless in what they do. And, but, but if we're continuing as parents to reward the instant gratification thing or make things easy and get problems out of their way, make sure they never feel anxious or stressed, there's nothing to work for because it's all getting handed to them. What's the incentive to work if all you ever feel is great all the time? So, um, so as part of hard work is being challenged. It's about going through negative things and negative emotions. Um, and so, I mean, I was reading, I, I'm reading a, a great book now called Moonshots about uh, great you know, how, how great ideas come come to be. And and the point that the author is making is that these, these societally changing um, inventions or um, discoveries have a minimum of three deaths before they appear. So these ideas basically die three separate times or more before they come to life. And these people stick with it through the deaths of these ideas. So... These, what we think and we look and we say, oh my gosh, here's a perfect, look at this YouTube star. They're 12 years old and they're doing all this stuff or whatever. Um, that's not real. What's real is, is the perseverance getting through all the failures, but, but no one talks about that. But we, yeah, every parent I talk to, because I've spoken to thousands of them now, all of them know that's true. Because when, when I talk to parents, every parent looks around and says, yeah, like life kind of sucks sometimes. And we have to work through it. And they say they look at themselves that way, they look at their friends that way, but then they look at their kids and they say, I actually want to make your life different than that. But the reality is, that's not life. Life is what we've already lived. And it's going to come for them, too. So we've got to best prepare them.
0: It's so hard. Yeah. Well, you suggest limiting social media. And, um, you know, I'm wondering how that builds the happy, successful kid. Is it because kids don't, you know, you talk talk about the YouTube, right? You know, the influencers. Um, Is it because kids don't understand that what they see on social media isn't the truth?
2: You know, that it's cultivated or curated? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's it's ideal. It's idealized images. I, I mean, the, you know, I mean, first of all, like every study out there, and you could, and you know, says to some extent. I mean, whether it's a third, a half, or whatever the case is, that that people of the people who who are act who are heavy on social media usage um, have a higher, you know, the likelihoods of depression increase dramatically. So, um, and that's true for adults also. Um, so, it's it, heavy social social media use is um, it, what it does is it shows everybody typically in their best light at that moment of time, and so when people. People get heavy into social media what they what, what starts to seep in is this idea that all because all these people's lives going so well um, and they look at and then they introspectively look at their own and say mine isn't that good and what what's hard for kids is that they cannot filter out that um, that these are just snapshots in time for people and so they're so they their depression and uh, you know uh, the fomo so to speak fear of missing out pit kick, kicks in too because they look at what other people are doing that they're not doing or how happy people are, and then they start questioning themselves, and that puts them into a spiral, and, and it really attacks their self-confidence.
0: So d- should they have any access to social media, or do you
2: have specific... No, yeah, I, I think I think that they should, and I think, um, you know, especially more, I think, high school age than anything else, but, um, but it, because, you know, on the flip side, there's a reality, right? The reality is technology... Is a part of our culture, period. Um, that's not going away. The important part, though, is for kids to understand how to use technology for their own benefit. Um, you know, the, the phone is for them. They don't work for the phone, right? Like, there's a, there's a difference, and which is why, like, I would say for parents, just on a simple level, like you talked about instant gratification and texting and things like that. To me, a number one starting point is that kids with a phone should not have, uh, any kind of notifications on, um, for um, for texting or for like social like any kind of social things or whatever the case is because because they get trained like Pavlov you know this thing goes off they have to run to it and and when and when notifications are off or it's on a do not disturb mode for a vast majority of things they're able to control you know have control over their own usage and that's the first thing that kids need to learn otherwise they just get pulled into the vortex of of apps and YouTube and whatever else and they never get out so so they have to be able to to use the phone for their their own benefit, not the other way around.
1: That That's good point.
0: And maybe I go turn off her
2: notifications. Yeah, the, the push notifications, exactly, because they
0: ding. I'm a sucker yeah.
1: for it, too. Yeah, I'm, too. I'm guilty over here because yeah. I have them and I automatically go, oh, you know, yeah. oh, I better go check. So, you know, yeah. nothing's that urgent. Right. right?
2: Yeah, exactly, and 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 that's what I'm saying. It's it's little things, and it's why it's why I wrote my book because you know parents like like to think that there's going to be some kind of watershed moment that their kids are just going to get it, you know, um, that you know their kids are going to understand what perseverance is, and they're going to understand you know how to how to work through a problem or be challenged. Um, And the reality is, like, there is no there's no moment in time. But it but I wrote my book because what I want to highlight it's that it's how parents respond to the little things every day with the same messaging and the same strategy over and over and over again that will then give kids uh, the, sh- the, the tools to be able to succeed once they graduate high school. Because to me as a parent, what, what parents are getting caught in today um, is, is a choice. And, and parents have a hard time with this choice. They're parenting to, on one of two tracks. They're parenting either to raise kids to look as good as they can on paper when they graduate high school, or they're raising kids to be adaptive and independent adults post-graduation of high school. And the reality is you have to pick one Side, but parents are terrified of their kids not looking as good on paper. Therefore, they're not giving the kids the opportunity to learn the skills to be successful post high school.
1: Exactly. You mentioned um, independence and like trying to encourage independence. And one of the things that I was reading. Uh, from your book was um, the example of like if your kid wants a video game or um, playing basketball and wants to be like the star on the basketball team, and how you handle those situations can encourage independence. Like if I, I'll be I'll be honest, my sons come and said, "Hey, I want this Wii game or I want this," and I'm just like, "Okay, well, let's just go buy it." When there's actually a learning opportunity to be like, "Okay, not only can I delay his gratification, but he can." like figure out for himself how to raise the money or earn the money to go ahead and buy it for himself and and be independent is that basically the essence it-
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we we have just because we have means to do things doesn't mean that we should, you know. Um, And I think the I think it was easier, you know, however many years ago when it was maybe a little bit economically more difficult for people to buy things. So the answer was just always no. Um, But now that um, I mean, economically speaking, you know, there's there's more and more people that um, that are doing well financially, and so what happens is they they find themselves wanting to continue to give their kids maybe things that they never had the opportunity to have or whatever the case is, but... Um but we have that. But that's the example of on a, on a small scale. If, if the importance is delaying gratification, how do we use that theme every time? Right? Um, you know, you know, a kid might want um, you to go for ice cream. Okay. Well, can you empty the dishwasher and clean the kitchen before we go? Right? Like it's these little things that build in. Like you've got to work hard for things. The, the, the good things don't just naturally appear because you ask for them. And that's and that's just one example of strategy and communication.
1: When when you gave the basketball example, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, uh You know, your example was when a kid goes out and shoots hoops and, and wants to be like the star basketball player. And then after a couple of minutes, they're like, I suck. And yeah. they come inside and whatever. And you mentioned, and this is something I'm probably not that great at, but to empathize with them and say, I see that you're upset about the struggle, but how do you know, how can, what do you think you should do? Do you think you should go back out there? And yeah, but it might, you might not make a couple of baskets now, but I bet if you keep doing it a couple more times, I bet you're going to sink some more three pointers or whatever, like that type of situation. So not just like saying, oh, stop, don't get upset about like, cause I
0: have done that. Yeah. Don't get upset. Yeah.
2: Don't be upset about that yeah because I mean because because we do get upset, I mean, the reality is like we do get frustrated when things don't go the way we want them to right so the so the emotion that kids have is is a valid one right we we you know it gets frustrating, you know, and you want to quit sometimes, and that's true for adults but but what we want to do is get them comfortable with the process of it. We want them to get comfortable with the process if they tried something, it's failing, it's not going well. here's all the things that you're feeling, but just because you feel all these things th- those feelings and emotions. Doesn't create a finality. It's it's just how you feel about this one thing, and just because you feel these things, you are capable of working through the emotion to continue to work and eventually get to where you want to go. Um, but and so and I and and so while I use that example for for basketball, there was a there was a study that was done that talked about um, whether or not you know if people have a major professional catastrophe happen in their life, adults being meaning that if they get fired, they get laid off, things like that. That if that's a Uh, a career ending um, thing for them. Like they won't, they won't be able to move up any further in their careers and in other organizations. And what research said is that it's just not true that people who have a major professional catastrophe are capable of continuing to move up in, or in other organizations. But the perception of the catastrophe is what derails people, that if people view those catastrophes as simply a failure, that they're seven times less likely to continue to move on than people who view those catastrophes as just a learning opportunity, just something that, you know, a bump in the road. That Hiccup. They have to. Um, yeah, exactly. And, that's, and so that's why like that basketball example is one. It's just an everyday example that a lot of kids kind of go through. And there's tons of those little things. And that's why as parents, we have to encourage them through the emotional overwhelming piece of the process, because we know that when they're an adult, they're going to have that same type of hardship in an adult situation. And we want them to be um, emotionally and mentally strong enough to be able to move through it, not get swallowed up by it.
0: So you talk about teaching resiliency. Is that is that an example then? You know, like walking them through their emotions telling validating their emotions and then telling them that go go back out there because you will eventually get to the other side of it
2: Absolutely. And, you know, and, and people, you know, think that, um, you know, I think the hard part with kids, too, is that they believe that emotions are real. I mean, emotions are not, I mean, they feel real, but they're not accurate. They're not accurate by any stretch. Um, you know, I mean, most people are scared when they do something new. Um, but the fact that, but but the, after somebody does that new thing, how many people would say that their anxieties of the negative outcome were ultimately justified? I would say it's a lot, it's, it's a small number, because we get anxious about everything. But I mean, if you, could you imagine how many people wouldn't do things just, out of fear, um, you know, we'd still be living in the stone ages. You know what I mean? Some Like someone had to get in the first airplane, right? I mean, it's like, like so there's always fear, but it doesn't mean just because we're scared. It means that that doesn't mean things are never going to work. And that's how we have to help our kids think just because you're feeling things. And it might even be overwhelming. You can't let that emotion guide you. But we're so driven by empathy in our culture that um, it's really hard to separate that out for kids.
1: We, I, I agree with the emotional conflict that you speak of, because, you know, what, it's like the the standard the gold standard in parenting is that you want your kid to be happy and like it's always like you can't be sad or oh i'm gonna fix it so that you're not sad anymore and frankly as adults we all there's days that really suck and Mm -hmm. and you're sad or you're disappointed and whatever so we're by taking those um situations away from our kids we're not like setting them up for success later because we're not letting them deal at an early age that you know what sometimes life just really does suck
2: yeah, well, and, and you know, and, you know, and, and the, the other, piece of this is most adults would say that emotional intelligence, having, having emotional intelligence um, is essential for personal and professional success in adulthood, right? And the thing of it is, as parents, though, we look at our kids and we say, well, we want you to experientially feel happiness and excitement, but we want you to theoretically understand guilt, shame, embarrassment, disappointment, anxiety. We don't really want you to feel those things but we want you to kinda of understand that they exist. You should read exactly. about those things, right? You read about those.
1: Look at yeah, that over uh, there, but don't actually feel that way. Just yeah, look at exactly.
2: it. We don't, we don't want you to feel it. You know, so but then they get old then, then, then they get older and then we wonder why why young people can't cope with negative feelings because we're not teaching it. We're spending too much time making sure they don't feel it, but yet we'll also say emotional intelligence is really important. Well we gotta pick one. As parents, if we value emotional intelligence, well we gotta teach them the, all the emotions. We can't just teach them the good emotions. You know, so we, we we have to make these choices as parents. But as parents, you know, um, when we go down those, when we really look at both sides of the coin and say we're going to parent honestly, it's going to make us feel uncomfortable as parents. But that's our problem. And we've got to be able to overcome that as parents.
1: You talk about the importance of consistency. Ann and I joke about this all the time. The only thing that's consistent in our households is the inconsistency. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, so wait that that does make us consistent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're
1: consistently saying that yeah. uh so life life gets in your way and stuff so how how can you how can you um make things consistent how 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 can we make that work in our house?
2: Well, I think there's a very big difference between um things kind of in a in a practical sense being consistent versus a, tr- a strategic sense, being consistent. And I think that's where people get lost. I think it's really hard to be consistent practically in a household, especially with multiple kids. I mean, there's just too many variables that are constantly happening to to ensure um, a high level of consistency. And I'm saying a high level of consistency, something over 70% of the time. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. But strategically speaking, it's very, I think, a lot easier to be consistent because if, if parents are aligned in the strategy of what they want to teach their kids, there's always an opportunity to impart that message, even if the, what's happening practically is is just changing constantly and that's why I think it's more important as a parent to have a strategy about what you're trying to do and not worry about the tactics how you're going to do it I, I don't I mean because that, that's going to vary from family to family but the strategy I think is what's most important and I think most and that's where I think most parents get caught because I think they think I just want to make things easy for my kids today that's that's not a long-term strategy and and that's where I go back to as a parent and if, if you have a kid who's 8 9 10 11 years old I mean the question is are you are you, are you trying to make it so that their high school, junior high life is going to be easy and smooth, or are you preparing them for the day they graduate 10 years out? And those are completely different strategies, but, but you got to pick one because if you're preparing for them just to be, you know, do well or be happy that day, then um, you're certainly not preparing them for later. And so then if that's the case, you've got to be prepared for the fallout of that.
1: Yeah, it's a marathon,
0: not a sprint. Exactly. But what, you know, when you talk about strategy... Do you have, like, um, suggested examples of things to do? You know, so whether it is um, you can't go to the slumber party or, you, yeah, I, I, like, I'm just trying to think of, like, how I could implement a long term strategy to help my kids have
2: more emotional. So, 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 so here, here's the thing, right? So, so the 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 slumber party, like you just said, the slumber party example. I wouldn't, I, I think, I wouldn't use that as a parent, only because I think that there's a lot of things that depend. I mean, if you have a kid who. Maybe struggling socially, and they, you know, and this is a good opportunity for them, you're, you're going to want them to go, right? So, um, so I think you've got to look at it from kid to kid. What I would say on a long term strategy, like an example I would use is, um, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, schools, especially starting in elementary school, kids are getting like Chromebooks and whatever in the schools mm-hmm. um, to use. And so, what inevitably seems to happen, and I talked to a lot of parents about this, and, you know, it, it, what inevitably happens is it's bedtime, right? Kids are, you know, kids are elementary age. They're getting ready for bed. They might even be in bed. And what happened? They have to charge their Chromebook. Where's the Chromebook? Downstairs. Where's that the happened
1: last night.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Where's the charger? In their room. The question is, who goes to get the Chromebook? The kid. That's the, well, they should, right? Yeah. But how many parents... To make the things easier, go smoother and, and quicker. Fight or a conflict? Yep, just go down and go get to it. bed. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about as far as strategy goes. How you know? It's these little things every day that impart ownership and accountability. And and you can certainly hold kids accountable, uh, like on a big event kind of a thing. But that's not a long term strategy. It's one event that that you're going to use as as kind of a point to make a point. I'm talking about the little things every day. Um, you know, if if kids are if kids are you know why you know most houses have a have a kitchen right, and then there's a family room right off of it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know usually a parent is in the kitchen kind of doing whatever they they're doing, and a kid is oftentimes watching TV or whatever they're doing in the family room. And how many times does a kid say, regardless of how old they are, "Hey, I'm thirsty. Can you get me something to drink?" Oh. My house all the time. And, and if a parent is by the sink, maybe the cup's right there. Like, oh, yeah, you know, here you go. Right. But again, the question is, at what age do you at what point do you say, you know, I'm doing this. You can go get it yourself.
0: I, I just want to take some credit here because I'm like, the water comes out of a faucet in the fridge and the cups are next to the fridge. Get a cup.
1: I know. Yeah. But that first time when when I pushed back, like when they were little, I would do yeah. it. But then as I got older, I was like. Uh, you have two legs. Get yeah. up. Yeah. And they looked at me like, like, like. with this whore, like, what? You don't love me. You're not bringing me water.
0: I was like, for real? Yeah. <laughs> go get up off your butt and go get your own water. But that's an example, Adam, of like teaching them. To do things for it, themselves,
2: right? Well, that, and that's what I'm saying. And it's a, it's a small example, but if you think about the number of times over the course of a the day, there's opportunities for that. Mm-hmm. That teaches them reliability, accountability, right? And it's a little thing. And because what we tend to do as parents is focus on these big events, but but the but the and the big events are important. But the kids learn how to manage the bigger events by appropriately starting to manage the small ones. And if we're not giving our kids a chance to be held accountable for the small ones, then how are they possibly going to be uh, or you know, do well or thrive when the big things come around.
0: That's ex- yeah. All right. So I like the way uh, you talk about uh, how kids can handle their worries, um, whether it's a, t- a test or an activity. Uh, you say to break it down into best case and the worst case and the most likely scenarios. So, mm-hmm. um, what does that do for the kid when they have to to think think it through that way?
2: Well, because you know what it does. You know, we we tend to our worries tend to just. Kind of go out of control. I mean, adult it's for adults too. I mean, we can we can foresee a thousand different things happening that are all terrible, right? When we think about things that we worry about, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do when I say that to kids, it's really about teaching them how to reality test. Because the the thing of it is, they probably yeah maybe they should be worried about something, but there's a but there's a reality and a any a, a range of, of worry that's most likely, and mm-hmm. and that's what we're trying to get them to do, right? If if they don't do well on a test, they might be terrified they're not going to like get into Harvard, right? Because of this one test. I mean, the reality is. That's, that's just it's, not likely destined to go there. It's that this one test isn't the case, right? You know, so let's let's really go to and have they ever really failed a test? Well, no, it never really failed a test. Okay, so then let's not even worry about failing a test, right? Like, let's just try to break it down. The reality is, um, you know, you know, typically where it falls is that like about a test, the odds are especially if a kid has never really failed and they tend to do, you know, fairly well, what they're going to get a C or a D. OK, that's that's really the worst, the real worst case scenario. Then, you know, and then it goes to, OK, so if that's the case, then what would I do? And then they can kind of think from there. But but if they're making it a catastrophic future problem, that's just it's overblown. And now they're going to really, tie, you know, get themselves all tied up about something that, that isn't even relevant. So that, what we want to try to do is if you're going to worry fine, but worry about the right things.
1: Right. That happens in my house when the kids are like, Mom, everybody like everybody's got blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, OK, so who's everybody? And then they're like. Yeah uh jimmy and johnny i'm like is that everybody and then you break and then i totally bust them on it because i'm because they're prone to hyperbole like everything is so epically large Mm -hmm. and really it's like okay is it really everybody or is it two people that you really like that are your friends and you want to do something with them right (laughs) that happens all the time
2: yep Yep, exactly and that's and that's all we're trying to do is just because it, again it's 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 training them to think about their worry and to put it and to think about it in terms that are going to help them going forward. It's not don't worry about it because we do worry, but if we're going to worry let's let's worry about it accurately, not in some exaggerated form where ninety eight percent of our worries aren't even possibly coming true. Let's worry about the two percent that can,
0: yes, yeah, so I've also noticed that anxiety or fear of failure can paralyze my kids. Like, you know, if, if they think they have to be perfect, they'd rather not try than try and fail. Yeah. So um, someone said at one point, like, if you're not failing, you're not learning. Um, mm-hmm. Is that, like, let's say I have a kid, like, I have one now who doesn't think she's good at soccer. And she, she's fine at soccer, you know, for an 11-year-old. And so she's like, I, I don't want to play anymore. What do you counsel in terms of the kid who doesn't want to do something just because she thinks she's not going to be good?
2: Well, it, it, it goes to, this is where, again, it goes to the strategy of it, right? I mean, we, we are such an outcomes-based culture at this point. Um, you can say with, with instant gratification, um, you know, we look at college admission as a validation of our parenting and our kids' opportunity for success into the future, um, test scores. We look at all these objective outcomes as basically a zero-sum game. Either you have them or you don't. And, and everything seems to be geared toward that, and kids get that messaging. And I think as parents, it goes more along the lines of, do we really think that way, or do we, or do we think about um, our kids' life and them growing up as more of a continuum? Um, that there's, it's just an ongoing process with good and bad outcomes along the way. And so, as parents, um, when our ki- if our kids are talking in those terms about not wanting to try because they're not good at it or whatever the case is, it's our job as parents to to reinforce the value of the process. It's not about whether or not they work th- that they try to eventually work hard to convince them that they can be good because that's outcomes based, and ultimately we don't. Even, it might not even be true, but we want them to get comfortable in the process of working hard and knowing that at the end of that road there could be good or not so good outcomes because that mirrors life because we don't know what we work hard at if we're ultimate, how successful we're going to be or not at all. So that's the mindset that we want them to get trained in. And that, and that's the roller coaster that they're eventually going to get on once they graduate college. Just try, get yeah. there on the
0: field and kick that ball.
2: Exactly. Just try hard. And, and you know what? You're going to have good games. You're going to have bad games. Mm-hmm. That, that That's all it is. But again, that mirrors life. And so that's why I talk about it strategically. If you're a parent who's focused more on, you know, your kid getting on the, you know, uh, highest level travel soccer team, well, that's outcomes-based. Then, then then your goals are totally different. Then you don't really care about what your kid is going through as long as they achieve an outcome. And then when kids get to that point, then they are incredibly sensitive to outcomes because then, you know, if, you, if that's the, the the thought and strategy of how they're being taught across the board, then all they're going to focus on is good outcomes. And then the second a bad outcome comes along, they're not prepared to handle it. But again, as adults, we all know that bad outcomes come along. So how are we preparing our kids to manage the inevitable? And I think that's the hard part for parents is that we don't want to believe that these negative things are inevitable.
0: And I'm thinking too back to my childhood the out, I was very outcomes focused. Um <laughs> and sometimes it led me to like circumvent the process, you know, where if I could get something done well without doing all the work, you know, I like like not cheating, but like you know, mm-hmm. I would I would write a paper on the first chapter of a book rather than read the whole book, right? You know, so you, yep. you if you only focus on outcomes, you're
2: teaching them not to do the work. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And and th- and that's the whole point, right? Because when you do that, how does that translate into adulthood? It, right. it just doesn't. I, I mean, it, you know, and so that and that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, what what is ultimately the goal of wh- of when we're raising kids? What we're trying to get them to do? And if we just focus on how do we make things easy for them so that they can get the best outcomes the fastest? Are, I mean, it's why millennials at this point stay on a job, what, nine months on average? Mm-hmm. Because they're they're waiting for the next great thing. And when it doesn't come, they just try to look for something else. They're, they're, that's the that's how those mindsets at young ages translate into older, um, that people have a hard time persevering because it's not going quickly, and then they get frustrated. I didn't get promoted that first time. I, I have to go to another company. Well, nothing changed. You know, you're still the same person who's not going to get promoted at the next place. But, but people are externalizing and thinking, it's the place's fault. Their own right, and that's why accountability is so important because people have to, you know, kids have to learn how to look in a mirror and assess themselves.
1: Well, what does that mean for the future, though? Because if the millennials are acting like that, feel like that now, our kids who with parents like me, <laughs> if they're setting themselves up for it's going to even look even worse later.
2: Well, well I, I, yeah, but I think it's short term because I think you know again, I mean we're we're kind of in this in this weird cultural transition of you know you have a lot of parents who grew up without technology raising kids with it. So um, so so you have parents who have no idea how to handle social media raising kids who have no idea how to handle social media, right? You yes. have you have all the I mean, gosh, and a number of times I hear parents plead ignorance about I can't manage my kids' technology use because I don't know what to do. I don't know anything about it. Uh, Learn. You have to learn. (laughs) You know, it's the accountability is the same thing. Just because you don't know doesn't mean it's an excuse for your kid to do whatever they want. So, um, you know, so we're in this cultural transition and, and I think eventually when you have um, you know, kids today who grew up um, with phones from day one um, and the Internet from day one, that when they have their families, they'll understand the impact a heck of a lot more than we do. And so those things will start to shift, I think, back in another 20 years or so. But right now it's a real, it's a real issue of, um, of, of that. But at the same time, it's the accountability of how you know we, we, we are also a society that caters to the to every need of every individual to the point where we individuals if they don't get what they want um, they they feel justified in blaming everybody else and and we we do not push culturally uh, a, a, an overall accountability and that's where i think that's why i think at home if we can start doing that with kids that that will shift as well
0: that's a great idea and it's so scary to think about the society that that blames everyone else and doesn't take responsibility for our own actions
2: yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it, and it goes back to you know that in, I mean, I'll say infamous. I am not infamous. I always remember it—the the, the the woman who sued McDonald's because the coffee was too yes. hot and the lid fell. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it, it's that kind of stuff that permeates. You know, just you know, like, why would you do that? You know, and, I mean, there was even a Seinfeld episode on that where, <laughs> if you watch Seinfeld, so yes, Kramer that's... put the coffee the, the coffee in his pants and it spilled all over him, and he sued the coffee place because yes. the lid wasn't on tight. Right? Like, at what point do you do you own your own choices? period. And, and as parents, um, we, we feed that uh, for better or worse. So I think that that, that's where the responsibility falls on us.
1: I feel like um, having these conversations with your spouse, um, you know, all these strategies and accountability and consistency, it's so hard in the day to day. It's like I equated to my husband when he's in meetings all day long. I'm like, when you actually get your job done and do the things that you're talking about in these meetings, that's kind of like life in a family and a household. Like there's Mm -hmm. so many chores and things and places you got to be like, there's like, when can you stop time and be like, okay, we're going to, let's talk about how we're going to handle X, Y, or Z that's happening in our family. It's, it's very hard.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to have a long view when you're right in the middle of it. Well, and that's, and that's like swimming,
1: treading water.
2: Yeah, but but you've got to have a long you've got to have a long view. And swimming is actually a pretty good example to use. My my oldest daughter swims, and um, and it's so interesting because the swimmer mindset is you know you work crazy hard for months, and you know you're in the pool however long, but you're only but this whole thing is geared toward just maybe a couple of meets because you want to you want to work as hard as you can to get geared up for the meets at the end of the year where you're going to explode out of the water, but but no one's expecting. Good outcomes, or I mean, you're hoping for good outcomes, but you know your best outcomes are coming when you're fully trained, and it's the same. It's the same type of narrative, right? You're not going to jump in the pool and swim and have your best time on your second practice. You're going to do it after, you know, tons of hours and after tons of weeks in the water. And that's what it's the same. It's the same metaphor for raising our kids. They're going to do best with all that practice through their first 18 years. So by the time they graduate college, they're set up to then go.
1: Thank you so much, Adam Russo, uh, author of Unwritten Rules and founder of Edgewood Clinical Services. This was all really great information. As I said at the beginning, like we all have to, as parents, have to be hit over the head like a gazillion times for it to sink in um, and how to navigate our households and raise these strong, independent, resilient kids that we want to have at the end mm-hmm. of the journey here <laughs> right. before we push them out the door. Right. So thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks, Adam.
1: So apparently we need to back up (laughs) (laughs) and let our kids feel the pain, the frustration, the negativity, be sad, be frustrated to drive them to be stronger and more successful people as adults.
0: And we have to let them be mad at us. Which is the hardest? Part. That's going to suck. I can't stand that. So <laughs> that's going to be rough. It's it's hard to sit on your hands and let them struggle. It's hard to um, to not want to save them, um, but we've got to support them and guide them on their journey. Uh, otherwise, they're going to go away and not be ready, and then they're going to live in our basement, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: well, which is okay hope, with me.
1: Not if I am accountable and consistent. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so,
0: but a side note. Last week, Hannah said to, to me, when when we f- go to college, are you and Daddy going to move and get out of the house? And I was like, well, I don't know, maybe. And she said, I don't know. I don't think you should. And I said, why not? And she said, I'm not sure if med school is going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're 11. lesser. bless her.
1: Yeah. Well, we'd love to prove how resilient we are. And Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, see, see how I tied that yeah, in? You're, yeah, yeah. You're a, I'm trying really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Please <laughs> go and rate i on iTunes. Rate apparently, uh, wherever you get it. Please leave a review for us. Share our podcast with your friends. If there's a particular episode that you really liked, share that. Text it to your friends. Say, hey, check out this episode of, um, about, Whatever the topic is with, with your friends.
0: Sure. And we and we, we just want your feedback. Uh, and if you have suggestions for topics, check out our Facebook page. Share our posts. We, we put some funny stuff up there. It's not all serious. Uh, give us a call at 331-704-0046. Or you can email
1: us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner. And I'm Ann Jossos. Thanks
0: for listening to Apparently.
2: We make it look easy. Make it look good When everybody sees it They stop and take a look